Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. When I was about 13, my, my dad came home. My dad was a really hardworking guy. Like, uh, you know, you guys talk about, you know, dads who work like, you know, 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week, like those kinds of dudes. That, that was my dad, and he's a car salesman, so that means he just lived at the job. So my dad came home, and uh, he, he said, hey, I got some great news. We're going to go on a fishing trip this weekend. And fishing trips with me and my dad happened like never. So he was really excited. He was pumped up. He was going to do this. And I had plans that weekend. You know, my 13-year-old calendar, I was going to hang out with my buddies. And I was staying over at a friend's house. We had this big sleepover thing planned. And clearly, that was the most important thing in my life. Because I was 13 years old. And that needed to happen. Because I was excited. So my dad says this. And I'm like, ah, well, I, I, I have something planned already. And imagine you're my dad, this really hardworking guy, looking at the 13-year-old who he paid for the house that he's living in, and he paid for his food, and, and now he's excited about spending time with me, and then I say I have plans. Let's just say it didn't go very well, right? He was, he was, he's like, well, this is what we're going to do. And then he starts laying out all these great fishing things that we're going to do, and we're going to go to this place, it's going to be great, and you're going to love it, da 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 and in my 13-year-old brain, I'm thinking, I don't want to go to this. I want to go hang out with my buddies. How do I get out of this? So I just yelled at him. And I said, I don't want to go. You're boring. Pretty terrible thing to say to your dad, right? Your dad's like your hero. He's the dude. And I said that you're boring. And I watched the look on his face just go to like, just hurt. You know, my dad wasn't a dude who really showed his emotions all the time, but when he did, whew, man, and I could just see it on his face. He was just so sad. So, and I just, uh, in my head, I'm going, well, that was terrible, but maybe, maybe when he gets to go to my friend's house, I, you know, like it was, that, that's where my brain was at. And I remember he just walked out of the front door and we had this really weird bird feeder bath thing in the front. And he just started working on it. And I didn't know what to do. My mom pulled me aside. She sat me down. And she started to explain to me how horrible a thing I had just done to my dad. And I was like, wow. And everything in my body wanted to just go into my room and just think about myself and just, you know, just not care. Because you know what? I'm going to hang out with my friends. But she, she said, no, you're going to go and you're going to go apologize to him because you really hurt him. So now I'm walking out the front door to talk to my dad to ask for an apology from him. And it's not exactly like this. It happened a lot. I didn't have a ton of experience with asking for forgiveness from my father because generally I was, I was a pretty good kid. I just kind of did what I was supposed to do. And this was one of those things that was just like terrible. So I start walking up to him, and he's at this bird bath, kneeled over working on it. And I did the thing like I wanted him to know I was coming so that I wouldn't have to be the first one to say something. So I'm like walking through the grass, I'm going like, like dragging my feet, 
making noise. You know, I'm not exactly the free to foot. You know, I'm like, you know, doing this, expecting him to turn around, and then she would start talking, and then I could talk, and we would work this thing out. But it didn't work out that way. He knew I was right there. He couldn't have. He you think he turned around and made it easier on me? No. <laughs> he just kept working on that bird bath thing. I don't even know what he was doing. I said, Dad. And then he turned, and he still had that look on his face. He was still upset. And I apologized to him. I said I was very sorry for what I had done, and it was, it was wrong with me. And I gave a heartfelt apology. I meant it. And then he hugged me. He said he loved me and it would be okay. And that was like, man, that was my first glimpse into like reconciliation when something big had happened. Like I've taken candy canes before, right? And I've apologized to kids and we've made up and everything's been fine. But in terms of like real hurt, I had caused hurt to him. And that hug was just like, oh man, okay. Well, we're back where we should be. The father and son bond is, is back. And okay, that's really, really cool. I share that with you because we're going to be talking a lot about forgiveness this morning. Now, we've been in this series called Premier, right? What, what book of the Bible have we been studying? Colossians, okay? So we've been in Colossians, but we're actually going to pull out of Colossians this morning, and we're going to go to Philemon. Now, do you guys remember uh, when Pastor Michael was preaching last week uh, anything about Philemon? Anybody remember anything? It's cool. It was at the tail end of his sermon. But Philemon... Is a very small book. We're going we're gonna, to uh, plug right through it. And it's a book, for the most part, about conflict resolution. It's about people coming together when someone has been wronged and how to deal with that interaction. But we want to go past that. As we go through this passage together, I'm going to challenge you to not get hung up in the to-do list of how to resolve conflict with one another, but actually think through the people that were here. The people that were in this book that we're going to talk about. Paul, Onesimus, and Philemon. Those are our three characters. The reason it's so important is because within our local body, the people that are here right now, our body of believers, it's incredibly important that unity be a focus for us. That when frustration happens, when we upset one another, because it will happen and it has happened, and guess what? It's going to happen again because we're people that we can forgive one another and we can reconcile with one another because of unity. And the only way any of that happens, the only way it exists is supernaturally. Do you see the title? Supernatural forgiveness. Because I can just forgive, but if I forgive with the focus being who God is, the premier, God being above all, him being everything, then I can start to work out how Jesus forgave us. And it's this really cool thing that God does. Now, that's a lot of talking around it, but let's, let's get into our key principle. The key principle is that the premier, meaning Jesus, empowers you to deal with your past, knowing he is in control. Now, when I say past, I'm talking about different forms of the past. This could be sin from a long time ago, back before you were a believer even. This could be a broken relationship from before you were a believer. It could be a broken relationship right now. But knowing that Jesus is the premier, he is above all, he is everything, he is, as chapter 1 said, the image of the invisible God, we can step confidently into reconciling with one another. Why? 
because we know he's in control. That's the key to it all. If Jesus isn't in control of the world, we ain't got nothing, guys. We're just spinning our wheels. So what do you say we actually read the chapter? Sound good? Does that sound good? All right, cool. Let's do this. Philemon, verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Acropus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all your saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command to you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that we might serve on your, beh on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he has parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Verse 17, so if you consider me your partner, Receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand, and I will repay it. To say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Verse 21, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will graciously be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So this is a letter. This is a short letter from a dude to another dude. From Paul to Philemon. Let's give a little bit of background about it. It's written by Paul between 60 and 62, around the same time as he was writing Colossians. This is the same group of letters. We want to notice that Paul is in prison awaiting Nero. And what happens to him in front of Nero? Anybody remember? He's done. Paul gets killed. So he's awaiting his own death. Okay? Paul's in prison this missionary who throughout the book of Acts when we studied that went across the known world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ is now in prison literally tapped out from the world but didn't stop. Continued to write and to encourage and to exhort and you see that in 
passages like Colossians that we're studying through, like Philemon, some of Paul's greatest ministry that we're aware of happened while he was under chains. Amazing stuff. Next, uh, notice that it was written to Philemon, who was a leader in the local church at Colossae. Okay, if you remember when we did Colossians 1 a few weeks ago, Paul, we don't know for sure if he ever went into Colossae. By the book of Acts, we know that he was around there, and it says that he, and there's people that he has not met there. So you have this guy, his name's Epaphras. Say Epaphras. That, that should be your kids' middle names. Just kidding, that's a crazy name. Epaphras, right? So Paul preaches the gospel to Epaphras, and then Epaphras goes into Colossae and helps set up a church there. By the end of this letter, did you see where Epaphras is? He's in prison with Paul. Following God may lead to some trouble for you, right? But now Philemon, who is a leader in the church there, it says that the church meets in his home. That's who Paul is writing to. So when I say Phil, Philemon, think the guy whose house they meet in to worship Jesus, okay? Most likely a, a rich man, that's, that's what most people believe. He had servants, he had slaves, so he, he had some money, okay? This was a, a guy who was in, uh, he was well known, right? Next thing you want to notice is that Paul is asking for something incredible. Paul is saying that this slave, Onesimus, so when I say slave, think Philemon's servant, okay? He, it was his property in those times. He left. He bolted out of Philemon's house, ran away, most likely took money with him, and then ends up running into Paul. How crazy is that? It's like God knows what he's doing or something. So he runs into Paul, and what does Paul do? Preaches the gospel to him, tells him who Jesus is. Onesimus, his life is changed. He's now a follower of Jesus. So Onesimus, the servant, the slave, is now a follower of Jesus. But how did he meet Paul? He was running away. It was illegal for him to do what he was doing. And now in this letter, you have Paul writing back to Philemon, right, the rich guy, saying, hey, I'm sending him back to you. In Roman law, it was lawful for him to be killed. And not just killed, tortured, killed. This was this man's property, according to the law there. And Paul was sending him back into the lion's den, if you want to use that term, with a letter that says, I now know Jesus, forgive me. Just, just think on that for a second. That's crazy. You, how do you think that conversation went with Onesimus? Because we know how it went with Philemon. We just read it. But Paul's sitting there with Onesimus. Hey, you know, you know, Christ is, you know who Christ is. You're maturing in Jesus. That's really exciting. But there's this sin in your life. There's this issue that you haven't dealt with. You need to go deal with it. Who thinks Onesimus was like, yeah, I'm going on that trip? Probably not, right? But he did. He did what God called him to do. So that's our cast of characters, right? First you have Paul. His role was the facilitator in this conversation. Was Paul directly involved in Onesimus leaving? Okay, Bob had nothing to do with that, right? But he would help with the reconciliation. Paul's locked up in prison. He's motivated to help restore the body. That's what Paul is trying to do. The body of believers, right? Unity. That's Paul's motivation. 
his authority, he already has authority to just say, hey, I'm going to keep Onesimus with me. He knows who Jesus is. So this is really exciting stuff. He's now a follower of Christ. Get excited about that. But he doesn't. He doesn't exercise that authority. He trusts God and sends him back. We're going to unpack that a little bit more later, but just, just crazy. Then you have Philemon. He's the offended party. His situation is that he had a runaway slave who shows up with a letter that says, forgive me. Awkward. A leader in the local church asked by Paul to truly put his faith to action. Do you believe that what you believe is really real? Do you believe who Jesus is? Because if you do, this is how you should interact with Onesimus, a brother in Christ now. Rubber meets the road. Then you have Onesimus. My daughter Sophie said he looked like he was about to uh, shepherd some sheep. I thought that was pretty funny. His role was the offender. His situation was that he ran away and most likely took money from his master. He's now a follower in Christ dealing with his past. Coming to Jesus Christ does not forgive you of your debt does not forgive you of any sin. Your sin is forgiven, let me be clear. But the consequences of those sins, in the temporal sense, your bank account, your finances, your broken relationships, when you come to Jesus, he doesn't go, hey, that relationship with your kid, it's going to be great now. That relationship with your grandkid, oh, you know Jesus now, so everything's fine. That's not how it works. But remember the principle, knowing that he's in control, allows us to confidently seek reconciliation. Okay, so as we go through this, we're going to move through these resolution steps pretty quickly. You'll see these all through the verses. Notice what Paul's doing here. He acknowledges the offense and the offended in verse 11. One of the things that we always seem to mess up whenever we're trying to you know, resolve conflict is we quickly jump past the offense like it didn't happen. Okay? The moment that the kids said, I'm sorry, the candy canes, it's like whatever. Did you notice that Cam didn't give the candy cane back? I said, I'm sorry, it's over. We need to acknowledge that there's been hurt. We need to acknowledge that someone was offended. Now, what we're not talking about in this case study, and I want to be very clear, is physical altercation. Okay? This is not a situation where someone was beaten or someone was molested or raped. That's not the case study here. And if you take it and you apply it to that, it can get really misconstrued. What we're talking about is someone being offended. That's what happened. And how often, when you, ha when you try to deal with that, we immediately move past the offense. We want to just push it to the side. And then the person who's offended, how do they feel? Oh, so you took my candy cane, but you said you're sorry, it's fine. That's something that you want to guard against. And Paul does that by acknowledging what the offense was. He then moves on and he recognizes the value of both parties. Okay, He points out in verse 11, this is really cool, check this out. He says, for, uh, I'll, I'll begin in verse 10. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Pay attention here. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. This is really cool what Paul's doing. 
Onesimus' name means profitable or useful. So what Paul is writing is literally useful was useless to you, but now useful is useful to you and I both. Do you see it? It's a lot of words. It's really wordy there. He's literally using what his name means to point out what God has done in his life. Useful became useless. He ran away. He was of no use to you anymore. But now useful is useful for God. For what Paul is doing and for what Philemon is doing in leading this church in Colossae. Recognizing the value of both parties. Don't miss the fact that there's a face-to-face meeting also. Do you see that? You, you can reconcile over a phone call. It's not impossible to do. But Paul sent Philemon, they didn't have phones, obviously, but they could have wrote a letter, hey, I apologize, and whatever, but Paul thought it important for Onesimus to go back and to apologize to Philemon in person. How many of us here have been a part of uh, interaction where someone's tried to apologize via text? Anybody? Yeah? Yeah. And here's the thing. Some people, that's completely fine. Let me just throw it out there. Probably not great. Probably not a great idea to apologize to somebody via text message. You're important enough for me to send, like, I'll spend 25 seconds. If you sit down with somebody, you're interacting with them, you're saying, hey, I apologize that I offended you. This is what I did. That's how you resolve conflict between two parties. Remember, the goal is reconciliation. And if there's no face-to-face interaction, you're really just setting yourself up for failure. Next thing is, notice that Paul is invested in the resolution. Paul says he is sending his very heart. Onesimus had become important to him. He was very valuable, but he sent him anyway. Paul was invested in this situation that conflict-wise he was not involved in, right? Paul, as a mature believer, was invested in the situation, wanted the body to be uh, reconciled. Next one you see, it's include the offended party in resolution options. This is in verse 13 and 14. Paul didn't just keep Onesimus with him like he could have. He sent him back, and he asked Philemon to make the decision for forgiveness in verse 13 and 14. He he literally said, hey, I'm sending him back to you. I trust that you will do the right thing. Notice Paul's very slick about that. He says, hey, you know who Jesus is. You're a mature believer in Christ. You are following him. I trust that you'll do the right thing, but I'm still taking the action step of allowing you to make the decision. Onesimus could have showed up and then been killed. Could have happened. Then Paul pulls back the curtain a little bit on him and says he points out the power of God in this situation in verses 15 and 16. He says, hey, what if God was working this out? What if God is actually in control of everything like we think that he is, and he's now using Onesimus' bad choices for his glory? Do you see it? That's what Paul's trying to point out to him. Because this is discipleship, guys. This is Paul discipling someone who he may have never even met. We don't know that for sure. But he's discipling Philemon and saying, hey, trust God. I trust that you'll make the right choice and I'm putting it in your hands. I'm putting this man's life in your hands. But I'm also trusting Jesus to do it. 
and of course asking for forgiveness in verse 17. He transitions to him to fully forgive Onesimus and receive him like you would Paul. And finally, Paul hopes for the best of all the people involved in verses 18 through 21. Paul hoped that he would restore the relationship fully. And Paul offers another play on words here. Look at verse 20. He says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing that you owe me, even yourself. Verse 20, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. If you look at the Greek there, that's yet another play on words of Onesimus' name. Paul's saying, hey, there's a benefit to me being a part of this and what God is doing. Really, really cool stuff. So we've read through it. We understand the, the conflict resolution side of it. But let's really dive in here now. The, the first principle I really want you to see, I'm calling it the Paul principle because we're looking at it from his perspective. The premier, Jesus, right, expects mature believers to promote unity within the body. Mature believers, someone who's walked with Christ, who has matured in him. That's what God expects. That's the Paul in this scenario. He is looking at a situation that he could very easily just say, you know what? It's pretty sweet having Onesimus around. I like this guy a lot. It's really exciting that he knows who Jesus is and he's following him and he can just help me out. But he doesn't. He doesn't do that. He doesn't make the decision that would be easiest for him. He makes the decision that does what? Promotes unity within the body. On a team of any kind, whether it be a sports team, a work team, uh, a team, you know, in terms of, uh, let's say we have like a, a team of people that work outside, you know, keeping, you know, this like 10 acres of grass mode, right? On any team, the worst thing that you can have happen is a huge group or a, a majority of the group, I should say, being really immature people. Okay? Whether it be young people, whether it be older folks who aren't mature, it can be the same thing. That's, that's a cancer. Because what will happen is there's no raising up. There's no maturing. There's no pouring into the next person. Right? To put it in sports terms, I'm an Orlando Magic fan. The Orlando Magic just decided that, hey, we're going to get rid of all of our old players, and we're going to be really bad, and we're going to draft the, the really good talent. The problem is, if there's no older person to teach them how to be a professional, they don't get any good. It works that way for us, too. If there's not mature believers actively pouring into the other people, the immature ones, the young ones, what are we doing? What are we doing? Because we're going to raise up a generation of immature people. Now, here's the problem. I don't want you to respond, but I want you to think through this. Are you a mature believer? Think through that for a second. The easy answer is, of course I'm a mature believer. I've been walking with Christ for umpteen years. Here's your case study for whether or not you're a mature believer. Think through how much of your spiritual life is spent pouring into someone else as opposed to just making sure you're on the right track. How much of your spiritual life is just trying to get you out of bed? You, don't, you can't think about other people's problems or what's going on in their life because you're so hung up on your own stuff. That's hard. 
That's really hard. But we got to check that. If we're not a mature believer, maybe you're brand new to knowing who Christ is. Maybe you met Jesus a year ago, right? That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But mature in Christ, go through the scriptures, spend time with God, cultivate that relationship, and see what God has in store. If you're a person who's known Jesus for a ton of years and you're spending all your time focusing on what you need to do, not about promoting unity within the body, we got to check ourselves. we got to really figure that out. Paul gave us the perfect example of this. He could have very easily just been about himself. But he wasn't. He sent Onesimus back. The next one is the Philemon's principle. Okay, so remember, Philemon is the one who was wronged. He was the offended. His principle is the premier expects followers to forgive sin, remembering Christ's forgiveness to them. The premier, Jesus, God of all, creator of all things, image of the invisible God, expects us to forgive sin. No, we can't pay for sin. Jesus already did it. But we can forgive those who have wronged us. Because remember what, what we talked about with the kids, right? It was a two-pronged thing. Apologizing and then offering forgiveness. Because a lot of people can apologize and then you, we just sit back and go, yeah, all right, whatever. And maybe sometimes we even say, I forgive you, but our behavior screams the opposite. Because we're very quick to get angry and frustrated about the next thing that you do got to check ourselves. How you doing with offering forgiveness? Has someone approached you or maybe you accepted their apology, but based on scripture, you haven't reconciled with them because you're still hurt. The premier expects you to forgive because he kind of already forgave all your sins. Who are we to hold back forgiveness to someone else when Jesus literally died for us? Just put that in perspective. Jesus died for all of our sins. I think I can forgive the person who offends me because they put on too much perfume. Or, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, a lot of times it can just get really silly. Perspective is key in that. Last principle is the Onesimus principle. The premier expects followers to seek reconciliation, not hide from conflict. This is a hard one. How are you doing with seeking reconciliation? Have you offended someone and instead of, instead of dealing with the situation, you found clever ways of hiding from them? I think pretty much all of us have probably done that at some stage in our life where you've done something, you know it was boneheaded, you know what you did. And then as opposed to going to that person and apologizing, right, to seek reconciliation, we come up with all kinds of ways to avoid that person like the plague. We can get really good at that. We don't show up at places where they're going to be when we know they're going to be there. We do that awkward thing in the grocery store, we're like, oh, kind of do the look away, Right? <laughs> We've offended someone, and now it's easier to just burn the relationship than actually deal with one another. That sounds really violent when you say it, because it is. It's easier 
to just burn a relationship in our culture today than it is to seek reconciliation. That's horrible. That's horrible. I would rather not think about you existing than get outside of my own comfort zone and just deal with the problem that I created. How dare I not seek reconciliation when I claim to be a follower of Christ who literally brought me in to be reconciled? Do you see what Jesus did and how Paul was walking these two guys through this? The discipleship here is just incredible. Is there someone in your life that you knowingly have offended? Now, if you offended somebody and you don't know, that's a different thing. Right? If I have no idea that I offended you, which is probably happened before, <laughs> I'm kind of a knucklehead. But if I know that I've offended you and I'm choosing to not, inter- not deal with that, how dare I? How do you approach that person to offer your apologies? It's up to them to offer forgiveness, but it's up to us to seek reconciliation. The Onestimus principle. Closing, why do you care? Okay, well, we did this case study. We went through, we, we read what happened in these three guys' lives. But we, we don't know for sure what ended up happening. So why do you care that Paul wrote a letter a couple of thousand years ago to a dude named Philemon about a dude named Onesimus that you're never going to meet this side of glory? Why do you care? Because the body should be promoting unity, especially the mature followers of Christ. The mature people in this room in Christ should absolutely be promoting unity. And the immature ones should too. But when the immature ones stub their toe, you know, you're, you're immature in Christ. You're a young person in Christ. We don't expect a teenager to be able to balance a checkbook. Right? <laughs> John laughs at that one. We should be forgiving those that offend us, modeling Christ. We should be the model for that, guys. Because in the world in which we live, there's a lot of people that are offended and have not, not forgiven anything. That's extreme. They haven't forgiven a lot of things. We should be the model for that. We literally have a relationship with the God of the universe who paid for our sins. Come on. We should be seeking reconciliation with those we've offended. That's the hardest one, I think. The hardest thing in the world is dealing with your own stuff. When you offend someone, the hardest thing is to take those steps and walk up to them. But that's what we're to be about. Because Jesus took those steps and went to the cross. Unity brings glory to Christ. That's why you should care. Unity within the body brings glory to the God who created us. And then when we spit in his face and said we know better, paid for our sins anyway. Unity brings glory to Jesus. How cool is that? Where you at? Is there someone you need to offer forgiveness to or request forgiveness from? Remember, what Paul was asking for was supernatural forgiveness. This was not a normal case study. This is not, I, uh, I got mad because you showed up late for this. This was literally a man's property leaving and stealing from him and then coming back. This is, this is supernatural forgiveness. If through Christ's power that could happen, Jesus can handle our situations. I think we can all agree on that. Go to him. Let him search your heart and guide it. I did not want to walk up to my dad and ask for forgiveness. I would have done anything to not, not do it. 
I would have I would have made the situation worse. I would have ignored him. I would have stayed in my bedroom, and then the, then it would have you know, snowballed into something else. But my mother did not allow that to happen. She said, "Go and apologize to him. You have offended him." And then through that, the direction of my mom, I walked up. I apologized to him, and guys, that hug was awesome. The reconciliation there was incredible. The unity that we had as a family because I had come to him and apologized. Now, had I not screwed up in the first place, it would have been even better, right? But I did. So I apologized to him. He accepted my apology, offered forgiveness. And our Heavenly Father offered that to us so long ago. This message was directed towards believers in Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer in Jesus, it's a little bit different. If you're not a believer in Jesus, what he did is he offered reconciliation for your sins, right? For those of us that have that reconciliation, we know that we're interacting with one another. But if you don't know who Christ is, you are spiritually dead. The word says, you're dead. God says, I paid for your sins. I submitted myself as the perfect sacrifice for you. And I am coming again. You need only follow him. Believe what his word says is true. Believe that Jesus' sacrifice was perfect and enough, and then follow him. What camp are you in? Where are we at? Search your heart. Figure out what God has called us to do, and reconcile with one another, because remember, it's all about unity. That's what it's about. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.